Jeff Babco is one of the busiest and most sought-after keyboard piano players on the L.A. scene. Although his name might not be a household word, it's likely you've heard his music. Or, better yet, you've probably seen him playing in the house band on Jimmy Kimmel Live every weeknight on ABC. Apart from the weeknight TV gig, Jeff is also one of the most talented jazz keyboardists around, having toured with George Duke, James Taylor, Julio Iglesias, and has recorded with Larry Carlton, drummer Simon Phillips, and most recently, Steve Lukather. He has three solo and collaboration albums to his credit, and has currently released a new project with his new jazz band, Mondo Trio, featuring Jeff Coffin and Vinnie Caliuta. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Jeff Babco. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Good, good to have you on. Hey, Jeff, I want to start uh, off with, uh, with a question, and we'll get to some of your, your career highlights in, in just a little bit. But let's talk about the project that uh, you just barely recently released, and it's a collaboration project with uh, sax virtuoso Jeff Coffin and, of course, uh, Vinny Cariuda. And uh, you guys call yourself the Mondo Trio, and after listening to the project, me and Rick, uh, we sort of have a hard time describing, a, you know, it's like a creative smorgasbord, a lot of genres mixed in, but but it works. Talk to us a little bit about uh, Mondo Trio, That's uh, it's an, a new project that's just going to come out. Well, thanks for asking, Dave. The idea of, of, of this project, um, which I won't make anybody else take claim for the name, I'll take full full responsibility. <laughs> well, I did the name. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> um but uh, it, it was a, it was an excuse to uh, get these the, the three of us and and for me to get the two of them into the same room and just get creative for however long we we could spend mm-hmm. in the studio together where all of our our schedules are r- relatively erratic and and um, so so I wanted I, I just kind of had a bug in my ear to uh, to work with Vinny in a more kind of uh, Free situation, kind of a improvisatory. Uh, everything that I've done with Vinny to that point has been pretty commercial. Um, when he's in town, he's doing so many different, really kind of commercial settings, mm-hmm. and that's what we were doing together. But in between takes, there was a lot of, you know, uh, uh, playing old Tony Williams Lifetime tunes and uh, and and what have you. Uh, and he knows all those tunes, and and so just. And I, you could just hear him kind of light up when when you start to play that stuff. <laughs> um, not to mention, having been such a fan of his playing over the years, I yeah. know, and and reading like every article that he, that I could get my hands <laughs> on, that he he always professed his affinity for for that kind of music, yeah. loose kind of, real creative, real open, blowing, high energy thing. Then I I got to play with Jeff Coffin uh, for, a, for a mutual friend of ours, um, and. As soon as Jeff uh, played, put his horn in his mouth, I was just blown away by his sound. He's got this beautiful, full, yeah. real wise kind of old sound that mm-hmm. uh, so many guys kind of... It's, it's rare these days to have such a big, beautiful sound. And he's so open and so fun. And um, we just... I just loved his spirit, and I thought one day I thought, what, what if the three of us got together? What would happen? The three of us had never played together. Jeff and Vinny had never played together, and Jeff and I had only played together a little bit. And and uh, and I kind of sent them the email. And they were into it, so mm. we did the, the real challenge of finding a couple days, and and um, we did, and we got a friend of mine, Nico Bolas, who's who's a great producer engineer, sure. to. Uh, to be in on a tune, everyone was real excited, and uh, and we went in and just kind of 
Jeff and I said, Jeff, bring in some stuff, and, and we were sending emails back and forth of the tunes, tune ideas, and I loved where it was going, and we just went in there and and, and made some raw, just kind of all first take music, and um, just kind of see what happens with three these three people with the energy in a room with a great engineer and a cool studio and a cool vibe. And, and uh, that's how records used to be made, mm-hmm. kind of those real jazz and I guess what was called fusion way back. You, <laughs> you didn't have months to make a record. I mean, if you think of how many records the Beatles made over the course of their short career, you know, they were, make, they were writing, recording, you know, conceiving, writing, recording a record in a couple of weeks. It's It's why not? You know, why not see what happens with three guys that are very creative? You just said something that's very interesting. You said this the the fusion way of of recording a a, a project, and and that's exactly the word that me and me and Rick have been uh, tossing around. That man, this is so classically fusion, and and the method apparently as to how you approach the music, it just sounds so so classic of that you know that type of uh, vibe of music. You know. Well, I think that that what was fusion back in in the seventies was. Um, you know, the guys that were playing were primarily jazz guys, but they were bringing in the rock influence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, what was always appealed to me about music in general, um, is when guys take whatever uh, input, musical input is around in the world. And kind of goes back to what you said about the the various genres that are kind of represented on this record. It wasn't intentional or it wasn't, you know, we didn't set out to... to try to visit every genre in the in the <laughs> American musical lineage but but we uh we just kind of used I think everything that we did you know we all we all dig the meters we all dig Tony Williams lifetime we all yeah. you know we all dig uh even Ornette and, mm-hmm. and Coltrane and and obviously Larry Young and all the things that uh that all our influences and also and and then then you get to some sonic things that happen also on the record and we're all into contemporary music as well i listen to you know almost everything that i listen to by choice these days is kind of more in the in what is contemporary rock or pop yeah. um, genre blonde redhead and and bands these kind of other kinds of bands that are really mm-hmm. twisting the sonic uh, options of where music can go and where composition can go and i think you that fusion really bring what that word meant, fusing all of these different styles that we're influenced by and, and putting them out there. Yeah, a second ago, you mentioned uh, Nico Bolas and how he engineered and, and produced. And, you know, he's worked with some incredible people himself, like Billy Joel and Bonnie Raitt, Carly Simon, you know, some other yeah. people like Crosby, Stills and Nash and Fiona Apple, even Toto. And, and you know, it, did who brought him to the table? Was that Vinny's idea? No, it was my, my idea. Well, Nico had engineered a session that Robin for Robin Ford that um, that Vinny and I were both a part of with a bass friend named Jimmy Earl, and uh, I had been a fan of Nico's. I remember getting a, on cassette, <laughs> a good old cassette. I remember uh, uh, getting this this Neil Young record from about 1987-88 called Landing on Water, and being um, being kind of impressed because uh, I, I know Steve Jordan was a part of the project and mm-hmm. it was a real interesting sound. 88 wasn't known for, uh, it was it had a specific sound that that those mid to late 80s, you know, right, yeah, a, right. and this record sounded nothing like that. And I, I remember seeing his name and going, wow, this is, this is cool. And, and um, 
having run into him over the years and doing different sessions for him and stuff, I just thought it would be the perfect match um, mm-hmm. for this idea. Of we want it, We didn't want any kind of pretty sounding like uh, ride cymbals and you know, yeah, um, anything really smooth about it it needed to rock mm-hmm. sonically so um so he had achieved that sound before in other previous stuff that you've noticed and and once you sat down and talked with him i mean he knew what you you were trying to trying to feel right i think i just love he he's always willing to just kind of go for it uh-huh. and throw up some money he, he's, he's really into capturing the music in the room whereas some producers and engineers are really into kind of uh, creating a new sonority with sound, you know, and, and he's just into throwing up a bunch of mics. Let's get what happens. <laughs> he he feels like his gig is to get get what happens on t- on the tape, and yeah. and he's just got a very his his mentality and his his uh, where he comes from is really kind of a rock and roll. Like let's go, for, come on, guys. Let's. Yeah. He, he's he's one of the guys. He really feels like one of the guys in the room. Right. And his spirit and his uh, his energy is really helpful to a situation like this right. to where you really want to raw kind of kind of go for it kind of feeling in regards to uh, mondo trio you know you jeff and, and Vinny have you know incredibly busy schedules you know you with your studio work and playing on jimmy kimmel live and mm-hmm. of course jeff with bale fleck and the fleck tones and all his solo stuff and then Vinny and well everybody you everybody know is working with Vinny, but uh with the busy schedules how much time did you spend on this album how long did it take you to put it together to record it, it was really a day and a half. Um, wow. We had scheduled the two days, and then, of course, it was at one uh, two days off of the Kimmel show that I had, and then they scheduled, of course, for the one day that I'd booked the studio, they scheduled the Kimmel taping. So uh-huh. um, instead of the full two days, we had a day and a half. I had to go into Kimmel after after we recorded that day. But um, So that was it, day and a half wow. of... Uh, of you know, and then obviously the preparation. Right. Jeff and I started throwing tunes back and forth via email, um, maybe a month beforehand, and just kind of hammered out what we thought would work. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, um, and then you know, mixing took a while. We we did a mix, and then we lived with it for a second, and then we all thought some stuff could be changed a little bit, so we remixed it. And um, obviously, we recorded in November of '05, mm-hmm. and it didn't come out until May of this year. So. There was some time in between um, where we just wanted to find it the right place. I didn't really want to put it out myself, and yeah. um, I'd done that before, and it's fine. And and it just gets to less, you know, it gets the people that want to hear it get to hear it. But um, when Shovik from Abstract Logic expressed interest in the project, um, mm-hmm. it seemed like the perfect match because he's just all about. He's just real excited about music, so mm-hmm. um, yeah. he was interested in, in releasing it, and. Uh, that's what we kind of were waiting for. We were, you know, going back and forth to different labels, seeing if they, you know, whatever, if they got the project and if they wanted to put it out. And, you know, the record company isn't exactly, the record industry isn't exactly super healthy right now. So, especially for a weirdo project like this. So, we it's were not weird. Were like, no, <laughs> sure it is. We want it to be weird. <laughs> weird is good. Um, but, yeah, so, so um, you know, the overall project, just the recording was just a day and a half, and really it was all first takes, I think, where there's one fix on the record, and, and all the overdubs that we did were just done right after tracking. You mm-hmm. know, we just, hey, I have an idea for this part or this part, just to preserve kind of this loose, very immediate feeling that was sure. on the recording. We didn't want it to feel like, you know, we spent two months in the studio overdubbing, right. and, you know, panning. the mix was real quick, too. We just throw it up, see what happens, and uh, make a sound... 
Mm-hmm. Um, kind of loud. <laughs> sure. Well, one of our favorite cuts, uh, one of the favorite tracks of the album that uh, me and Rick sort of embrace is uh, Vote for Morals. And it's a real and aggressive, it's very fast-moving performance from by Vinny. And while Jeff's mm-hmm. flute comes, you know, it's almost like countercurrent. It's, it's almost smooth. You know, it smooths out what's happening mm-hmm. with Vinny. And so it's, it's, it's a track definitely of contrast. But uh, maybe you can talk to us a little about that. I'm, I'm also interested about the bass line. Was that you on the roads? And where did that bass line come in on Vote for Morals? Vote for Morals. It was mostly B3. Yeah. I think it might have just been tracked on B3. Yeah, okay. Um, so I would have been kicking bass there, but but um, a lot of the record was done either, on, you know, Moog bass or, or whatever else I had going on. Even one mm-hmm. was a Treated Roads with a weird effect on it. But yeah. the tune, I think, was primarily B3. And I was Jeff's idea, Coffin's idea, to put the flute as a melody, I would never have, have imagined that because it's oh. such a kind of hard driving song. Oh, I know, I know. It seems like such a contrast. Yeah. But um, Jeff, you know, I was open to whatever anybody had an idea and it, it is cool. You're right. It's a kind of like a dichotomy like this yeah. smooth sounding pretty flute on the top of this angsty kind of rocking under, sure. underbelly. <laughs> yeah. But it, it it really works real well. It really works. Oh, good. Thanks. Well, yeah. you know, we'll have to give it up to Coffin for that idea because it's, it, it is, it's, and Coffin sounds great on the flute and yeah, it's a neat, neat little track. Fun. Well, speaking yeah. of that neat little track, you know, you were kind enough to uh, allow us to, to to play that here on our show today. So, uh, if you don't mind, we're going to dive right into that. Sure. Yep. So here's a vote for morals.
That was just a killer track. That was Vote for Morals by Jeff Babco from his recent Mondo Trio release. Another cut that was very, very interesting that, that you, I think you got your funky side out and maybe a little bit of Stevie Wonder side is when you pulled out the clavinet for Five Before Happy Time. Uh-huh. That song, that song uh, that, or that track is so vintage. Um, but that sort of lays down uh, sort of the, the part of the experiment of, the, of this whole project. So it's, it sort of fits, right? Talk to me about that a little bit. And that's, that's Jeff Coffin's tune. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was one of those that we sent back and forth, and I, and it's just oh, you know what? No, he he brought that to the session. Mm-hmm. We, I think he just kind of showed it to us on the dates, just a couple little vamps and changes keys. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it's like uh, I can't remember the actual time signature, but it's not not straight down down you know four four land, and it, it's just kind of a bouncy little funk tune. Vinny goes to a real tight high snare and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, as, funk, as far as funk influences, and um, you know, Headhunters and Thrust was obviously kind of yeah. just, the, that was like, a, uh, I don't want to say the Bible to me, but if that were what we had to say, <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah, well, good work on the B3 and the Rhodes parts. I think uh, this project really was, a, it's a top-notch recommendation for me and Rick, so uh, oh, kudos thanks. to you guys. Yeah, that, that song's really fun and funk, funky with those guys it's yeah. fun so. hey Jeff yeah. where, where, if somebody's interested in picking up the, the, the record where can they get it Yeah, they can get it uh, either at abstractlogics.com which is a, uh, abstract l-o-g-i-x uh-huh. com um, or on Amazon um, okay it's theoretically available in stores now so <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> whatever record stores you can find you have to find a record store for a challenge <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, then you can perhaps find the CD. Good advice. Good it's advice. It's pretty available. And if you have the thing called the internet, uh, it's pretty. <laughs> Is that thing still around? Jeez. As far as I know, yeah, it's just working out well. <laughs> yep. Um, and then uh, any any chance that it might be up on iTunes or some sort of uh, place where you can download it at some point? Yeah, that's on the way. It's, it should be the next couple of weeks. It should be up on iTunes as well. Well, cool. Well, you know, you know, you recently worked on the yet-to-be-released album project with Steve Lukather. And, and in fact, um, I was out in L.A. around the time that you were in session with him uh, out there to lay down some tracks for, for his album. And I think you, the day I was there, you were involved in laying down tracks for, for nine different tunes. And in about six or seven hours, you, you'd banged out all those parts. And, uh, you know, that, that seemed to be a, as pretty flawless a session as, as you can get. But I bet it doesn't always go down so smoothly, especially with all the you know, various artists you've worked with. Hmm. Well, yeah, given, we were given that I think I had a Kimmel show that day too and, uh-huh. and you're given the time constraints and with the guy as gifted as luke and with and also with steve mcmillan the engineer yeah they know what they want to hear and what they don't want, what doesn't work they've spent enough time in the studio to not be wanting to dilly dally around and well i don't know that you know it's it's like we have a project um we have a we have a goal here let's all go toward the common goal and and if the three heads are focused which luke is very very focused in mm-hmm. the studio and oh, yeah. very you know, and and um, he's not a taskmaster, but but he definitely. If we've got a thing to do, we got to let's get it done. Let's not mess around. Let's not go play pool in the lobby for four hours. Let's let's make music. Um, and I love that work ethic, and I always respond really well. That the guys that kind of kind of you know mess around in the studio and just a lot of waiting. Mm-hmm. I think it's anti-creative, and that you know it, this was a really cool opportunity. And yeah, we got a lot done that day that you were there. Um, and I think it's a cool, from what I've heard, I haven't heard the mixes or anything, but it was a really cool project. And then it's another one of those where the styles 
kind of there's a lot of different styles represented and, and a really good band. I mean, we were really fortunate to have, you know, Abe Boyle Jr. and Lee Sklar and, and Luke and, and myself and Steve Weingart played on some stuff. And, um, wow, it's, it's, it's when you get those guys in the room and that talent in the room, it's, it's basically my job not to, to mess it up. <laughs> yeah. If I can go in there and do what I'm supposed to do without making problems for everybody, <laughs> perhaps adding something to the, and I'm, that's great. Well, we spoke to Steve Lukather, you know, probably a month and a half ago or two months ago here on Inside Music Cast, and we were chatting about that project a little bit. And you know, he one of the things he he said that was a little different about this project than he's done in the past is he was really open to, you know, all of the guys that were involved in the project. He was open to their their input and what they were bringing to the session. He wanted them to just sit back and and, and do what it is they do. And he really uh, was was loving everything everybody was was adding to the project. Oh, well, he, he got, I mean, it helps that, that he chose people that all have uh, a set of ears that, I mean, some musicians are more uh, about kind of this is a job and I'm, you know, this is uh, commerce versus art. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that's good, you know, if you're doing a movie date where, or a TV date where you've got to bang out 22 cues in a day and this is an organ sound and this is a, you know, then that's what you got to do. It's mm-hmm. just a job, you know, it's as if you're, it's as if you're filing papers in an office. I mean, it's really no different. You you have to do this job skillfully, and you do it. But um, a, a, a record where you really want to make a statement and and, and you know, have a voice and have this record say something, Luke got guys that are creative and willing to put in their input. And the fact that he was willing to listen to it from everybody, mm-hmm. it, I think it just makes a richer experience for the listener mm-hmm. when you have all that different uh, input coming in from different sets of ears. Mm-hmm. And boy, the, the the you know, with everybody that between Abe and Lee and Steve McMillan has has worked with, uh, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find uh, more well-rounded sets of ears. You right, know, right. And 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 Luke, between all of his time in the studio and also just having been with the band for so so long, he's got such ideas himself and and. Being such a brilliant guitar player and and sonically with his guitar, he was really open to getting different sounds and mm-hmm. some more vintage sounds and different amps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was really really cool. Yeah, he had a, a, a the studio the booth area was just loaded with uh, just amps I'd never seen before, just a whole variety of of amps. And he was yeah he was really searching for for some different stuff. But um, you know during that session, I overheard a conversation that you and Lukather. We're having like during a break between songs, and, and you mentioned how great it was to be back in the studio doing a session in a studio with with not only a world class players but w- with an amazing engineer like Steve McMillan. And gigs like this are, are becoming fewer and farther between, aren't they? Yeah, every gig that I do, every session that I do with a, a live band tracking session, and there are a few, you know, but um, every time somebody in the band says, "Whoa, guys in a room," you know, "Wow, this is cool." Like, <laughs> A face. Look at that. Um, you know, most of last year, in the beginning of this year, all the se- probably seventy-five percent of the sessions I were doing were from my studio, my own studio, and, mm-hmm. and emailing tracks back and forth, putting them in our public folders. And you know, a lot of movie and TV guys are working that day because they're produced. The TV and, and film producers are demanding. They have deadlines for these cues that are, un, you know, that you can't expect to be met. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we need, we need four cues redone by yesterday at 6 PM, you know, yeah. <laughs> these poor composers, are, well, you know, how am I supposed to, so there's a lot of tracks flying around the, the, the uh, <laughs> airwaves. Um, 
and so yeah, a lot of the stuff I do is adding. And, and boy, I, I've always I've always thought, and I think that most musicians agree that that your your reward will be exponentially better when you get guys in a room because what happens with guys in a room is so special. Um, even just seeing one another when when we start, uh, there's such a camaraderie and such a, a love between between you guys I think there's just it's nothing like it mm-hmm. um, and that comes out in the music not to mention the ideas that start flowing you know even between takes little things that happen all that stuff comes out on your track yeah. and, and the energy is so buoyant and so joyful when there's a bunch of dudes making music that's yeah. what we're, we've grown up doing mm-hmm. and um, I think Luke did a great job of capturing that I hadn't tracked with Lee Sklar before that record and um you know, I was excited to play with Lee, and I always loved playing with Abraham, and 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 I always am honored to work with Luke. So that energy, uh, it's not you can't you can't replace it with a guy one guy at a time in a, in their their home studio. It, it, it's a different thing, you know. And I'm glad yeah. that we have the option of of doing things from home. I think it's really opened up a lot of doors. But I think that guys shouldn't forget that a live band is just there's nothing like it there's nothing like that energy yeah well you've done a great job with that and also a mondo trio um i want to ask you a couple questions here about um you know maybe growing up a little bit and getting into music but you're you're a california boy and uh so i don't know that southern. i have grown up so this might be a short <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for being with us uh <laughs> jeff uh, you know you you're a southern cal guy and uh you, you went am. to cal arts then you went. I, I studied there when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't actually attend college there, but when I yeah. was starting at ten, I started studying there with a teacher named David Reitstein. Yeah. Yeah. Then you went. Across? I lived right down the street, so that was easy. <laughs> didn't have to take the bus, right? No, no, I could ride my bike. Well, you then traveled cross continent to Florida when you went to, to music yeah. school at uh, Miami School of Music, and uh, um, then you came back again and you hooked up with a high school buddy named Mike Elizondo, as your profile says. And uh, tell us a little about a little bit about uh, coming back to the West Coast and hooking up with Mike because he was sort of key in opening a couple doors that uh, sort of steered your your career in certain directions, right? Well, yeah, I think I think we all we both kind of came up at the same time mm-hmm. and we're both the same age and, and he's a little younger. I, I won't, you know, I won't take the credit. He's younger than I, <laughs> by about six months. So. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, he, we met at a high school jazz competition um, and we kept in touch and, and he even considered going down to Miami, but, but he stayed in town with his family and, and went to Northridge and, and, uh, and I went out to Miami and I really didn't want to leave to go to Miami. I wanted to try to start working in uh, LA while I was going to school. I thought mm-hmm. I was starting to get little gigs here and there, you know, when I was in high school and I thought, well, I, I should do this. So I was thinking about going to USC, but it was so expensive. And my, my folks are both, both teachers and, and they're like, you know, if you don't get a better scholarship, you're going to have to go somewhere else because this is going to kill us. So Miami, I had heard about since I was a kid and, and with Matheny and Jocko and Bruce, oh, yeah. and all these guys having gone there it has a legacy and, and, uh, so I thought, all right, we'll go to Miami. And it, it was the best decision I, I could have made. Um, I started working there right away. I, I started when I was 18 working in this pit band for, uh, Anthony Newley. If you remember a good old Anthony. Oh, Newley. I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's right. Yeah, there was a lot of that happened. <laughs> he was doing a musical at the Coconut Grove Playhouse. So I started working pretty much right when I got to, to school. And I don't think I would have worked so much had I stayed here because the, uh, 
the musical pool of musicians is so much larger mm-hmm. in LA. Yeah. Um, there might have been more competition for me to kind of break in doing gigs, and but in Miami, it's it's just ripe with opportunities. I mean, there's a bar mitzvah or wedding or party happening in Miami. You know, <laughs> every weekend there's probably you know twenty or thirty of them with live music. At least in the early '90s, was not when I was there. So that's good money, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was yeah. It got me kind of through school, and and they were all real good players too. Not to mention the teachers at the school are very knowledgeable. Uh, my piano teacher Vince Maggio opened up a lot of different doors for me, um, just knowledge, knowledge-wise. And um, but I, there was never any doubt that I didn't want to stay there. Um, I wanted to be either in LA or New York. Originally, I thought I wanted to be like a straight-ahead jazz guy, so I thought I better go to New York. But I kind of thought about it, and I had been going to the Baked Potato and to these clubs in in LA since I was a kid. Bon Appetit, which is gone, Lake Cafe, which is gone, all these clubs. Um, I would save up my money from wherever I worked mm-hmm. and and go see gigs from from the cats, you know. And uh, right. and I think that that always appealed to me the idea that you could do a session during the day. And at that time, the guys were doing three sessions in a day mm-hmm. and going to play at those clubs afterwards. Um, that's not really happening anymore. But <laughs> yeah. but um, that always appealed to me. And I thought, since obviously my parents lived nearby, I could uh, I had a little easier springboard to get back in the scene out here. Mm-hmm. And Mike was working, and we were doing duo jazz gigs uh, around town and stuff, and we both kind of took different paths, and we'd reconnect on different sessions, and uh, um, yeah, it's been it's been a cool little ride. Hey, Jeff, you, you had to have some, some musical influences when you were growing up and, and while you were you know studying music, and who were some of these influences of yours and, and heroes that helped you know propel your desire to, to want to play? Yeah. You know, it could go on forever, and I think most <laughs> musicians are like that. Um, I mean, uh, uh, I could start with her with Herbie Hancock because he. I remember everything that I heard, you know, with Miles, and obviously when I was, you know, pretty young when like even Rocket and that stuff came out, and that was all on the airwaves, and mm-hmm. and um, just the fact that there could be, I think, keyboards musicianship was pretty. Uh, it was kind of looked upon well to be a good good musician in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of good, talented musicians kind of in the public eye. And um, and I grew up listening to AM and FM radio, just being fascinated with Top 40 radio and, and then getting fascinated with, okay, I'd, I'd raid my dad's record collection and see who played on what. I remember remember memorizing all the members of Blood, Sweat, and Tears when I was like four. My dad could quiz me on who played trumpet. I oh, Lou Soloff. But, but on the first record, it was Randy Brecker. <laughs> I, was not, I thought it was awesome to see these guys, you know, and just I'm fascinated. What's their life like, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was, I mean, there was so much input. Um, I was going to the, I would hang out at the record store almost every day at, after school. So, um, so needless to say, it's a pretty wide open. <laughs> There's a lot of influences that came in, yeah. but but keyboard wise, uh, definitely Herbie and Billy Preston and and uh, Jan Hammer and George Duke sure. and gosh, I can, and Page. Boy, I know you guys have spoke to Dave and and yeah. um, Toto. Having been in an L.A. band, I kind of got what they were about. Oh, these guys are session guys, but they have a band. That's cool. And and uh, and when Toto Four came out, I mean, it was so enormous. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, the videos being on and, and them getting interviewed and thinking, wow, that's the life. They, they're 
responsible for a lot of the other music that we hear, but they've got a band and they're all buddies. And and I remember definitely transcribing the the solo on Rosanna and, and the outro solo, you know, that great piano mm-hmm. solo right before Luke takes it. So I remember sitting in, in the living room of my parents' house, definitely going over. Actually, I learned almost that whole record. Just I would play along and <laughs> try to great. pick out parts, you know, make believe and all that stuff. Because the piano was real hot in, in the mix and it was he has an influence of kind of the Dr. John and the Billy Preston, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he's got such a great, diverse influence page. So he was he was big. So is that when you were listen, listening to the Total Four on vinyl? Uh, the cassette. A cassette. Uh, a cassette. So it's so yeah. I can I can just imagine you you know having the cassette and forward stop forward stop. There's a lot of that. Forward, yeah. stop wearing out the patches. There was definitely a lot of that. I probably still have that cassette somewhere, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was a big record, big record for me. Um, and and you know, there's so I could really go on. And Miles Davis was it has always been a huge influence, just because I mean, not just because, but but he was so unafraid to. Uh, visit and really delve into new styles and genres every record and like we said about the Beatles earlier I mean just to think of the time in which he just blew up what music what was thought of of music and how what was thought of jazz I mean if you think of how he pushed the envelope with every record and the fact that when a record would come out he was often already on to the next thing he wasn't even (laughs) he was he couldn't even keep up with his records um, or his records couldn't keep up with him. Sure. So, so anybody that was in Miles' band um, influenced me. Keith, Jarrett, for sure. sure. And the the pop guys, all the you know David Foster's and all these guys had a had an influence on me. Just and Phil and Gaines, boy, his solo on uh, his his work on the Nightfly. Oh. I, I, <laughs> I remember just being blown up. That record has spent a lot of time on on the turntable. That I had on vinyl. There, there you go. Oh. That one on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're right. That Nightfly. I mean, I, I just, uh, you know, I we talked to Greg about this too, and he remembers that that whole session with uh, with Donald Fagan, and we talked about that, and really w- weird, funny stories. I mean, we recommend anybody go and listen to to uh, our interview with uh, Greg Fillinganis if you want to how a little bit as to how a couple things that that happened in session, and later on Michael O'Mardian actually confirmed a few things. But you've got to listen to those in their entirety. It's pretty pretty hilarious stuff. But, I believe it. But you're right. And Larry Carlin's told me a little bit about that record too. I know he flew out to uh, New York, and just that's a day, basically a day of overdubs on his part. I mean, yeah. to think of, I remember his phrasing on the, on just his guitar phrasing. I'll never forget each solo. Of that is such a statement. Yep. Um, Larry, I was actually a big influence on me as, as well. Um, he had this record live from the Big Potato called Last Night. Uh-huh. Um, with Terry Trotter, who is an unbelievable piano oh, player. I love Terry's work. Yeah. Boy, this guy is just ridiculous with his two-hand facility and his bebop playing. Wow, he's he's so good. Um, that record was huge for me because it opened up some jazz tunes to me, but in a more contemporary setting. So he was playing these Miles, you know, so what and stuff. But it had this L.A. kind of contemporary vibe on it, and it really appealed to me at that point when it came out. I, I kind of got it. I go, oh, listen, you know. JR, I think, was playing drums on it. It was, it was a cool Abe, Abe Sr., mm-hmm. the cool approach. So, so, yeah, I remember Larry's voice in that night flight. Yeah. Uh, just kind of going, wow, that's cool. <laughs> it's like jazz, but it's kind of like blues. Yeah. 
I don't know. Anything where a lot of influencers represented was influential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I want to talk about a little bit of your relationship. You you go pretty far back, and we're talking about influences. I know that Toto was, obviously. But, you know, uh, not only have you hooked up with uh, Toto drummer Simon Phillips for several of his projects, but you did a collaboration with him uh, called yeah. Vantage Point. And, uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, but and subsequently that that led to maybe a little deeper relationship where he recommended uh, you um, you know to the band I guess David Page called you up uh, when he couldn't go on tour with Toto and he asked you yeah. to join. Tell us a little bit about that. How, how did that happen? Yeah, well Simon and I, uh, Mitch Foreman, who was another influence. Mm-hmm. It's good that I'm remembering all these people now. But Mitchell Foreman. We're going to get it out of you. We're going to get it all out of you. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I want to give props to all these guys that have been so. I mean, have been putting such good music. Um, Mitch recommended me. He was having uh, his wife, I should say, was having her, their first baby, and uh, and uh, he couldn't do a tour with Simon, so he recommended me to tour when Simon went on his first solo tour back. Uh, that started in '96, and um, and we just we clicked immediately. Uh, I love Simon's energy and his hunger to make music and oh, yeah. just create, and he's got such relentless energy. It's pretty frightening um and i was a fan of simon's as well so that has been just such a cool union and i'm so proud of the stuff that Mm -hmm. i've gotten to contribute to his stuff and and just the stuff that we've done together it's just really special um and simon i guess dave was ready to he had some things going on here and uh, he had a relative that was ill and he just thought they had been touring pretty pretty consistently and he needed to be home and um they wanted to be on the road so I couldn't believe that I was I was asked, and um, I'm still kind of punch drunk from it. It was really <laughs> cool. I, I was doing a show, a TV show called The Martin Short Show, which is a short-lived talk show. Um, I remember that. I was doing the house band, and it was just about to wind down. Um, we knew it had been canceled, and we were just kind of doing the last episodes that we owed did not work, and... Um, and Dave called. It was, I think, the last day of taping or something. He said, you want to go out this summer with the band? I said, gosh. First of all, I saved that message for a long time. As we said earlier, that stuff meant so much to me as a, as a fan and sure. a listener. Um, but yeah, I dove in and um, and we went out that summer and, and some of the highlights of, of my my career, my life, um, happened that summer. We played in Oslo to, uh, Oslo, Norway to the, basically the entire city. It was a free concert in the open, open square. And I don't know how many thousand people were there, but mm-hmm. it's pretty surreal playing. I, I felt like I was, you know, the understudy, you know, playing the, the playing the part of David Page tonight will be just, <laughs> I go out, this idiot, this blonde idiot walks out there and I'm, I definitely, you know, oh boy, I, we had a couple hecklers on the road, but but um, <laughs> for the most part, after you know, after a while, they were pretty accepting and um, the fans and that is. And uh, boy, to be playing "Hold the Line" yeah. for all these people, and it's like I'm not really the you know they're all clapping. I'm saying I'm not really the guy. You know, <laughs> you're not clapping for me. It's it's Paige, but thanks. Yeah. Isn't it amazing to see the following in in Europe on this incredible band? I think it's I think it's. Uh, it's well deserved. Oh yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great that they that they reward such musicianship. And yes, such, they do. Uh, yeah, that they really really get it over there, and it's sweet. The fans yeah. are really, Toto fans are really sweet and 
and supportive. They're cool. We have a lot of listeners. Actually, about 60% of the listeners of Inside Music Cast are from Europe. And I want to thank all of you for supporting Toto because probably, Absolutely. you know, I, if they got the similar support there that they did here, you may not see this band right now. I mean, they, I don't know if they'd be together. Uh, because I think right. I think Europe is what really holds them together, and, and thank you, Europe. <laughs> so, but hey, I, you know that the Steve Lukather Simon Phillips connection, you know that proved to be a really solid relationship for you. And, and you know you're one of the members of, of Doves of Fire, which also includes Melvin yeah. Davis on bass. And tell us a little about the origin of that band and how mm-hmm. often you guys get together per, to uh, perform. We haven't gotten together in a few years, probably about four or five years. Unfortunately, really, um, we were doing it pretty regularly. But uh, Luke, then you know I got this. I do the Jimmy Kimmel show now, so that prevents me from going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, Luke's doing the uh, Luke had his El Grupo band right. after that. Um, so Simon and I did did another thing. We did the this uh, that same Vantage Point, the jazz band. We did a DVD a couple of years ago, so mm-hmm. we worked on that together. And it just kind of hasn't had a chance to come back together. But I think it was really an excuse. Luke and Simon were touring a lot with the band with Toto, and. Um, they were ready to get their rocks off a little bit, and uh, they both are big Mahavishnu fans. Uh-huh. And uh, we also did some Cobham solo material and some other stuff. And I think it was just an excuse for them to visit there, and all of our, you know, frankly, I mean, Jan is a, one of the biggest, uh, one of my my heroes of life. I think he's just boy, I love his playing. And so for us to get to play that, it was really just a fun project. And we recorded a, a whole Japan tour, so. I hope someday that sees the light of day because it was, it oh, was me too. really cool. It was really fun to play with those guys every night and talk about energy on stage. It, it was That was a real joy. I'm really proud to have done that. Any, any chance or any talk of you guys getting back together and doing anything anytime soon? Yeah. Even some L.A. I gigs? There's always a chance. I, 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 yeah, it's really up to Simon and Luke. They've got such a busy schedule with, with Toto. Oh, that's that, true. Uh, if their schedule ever opens up, I would hope that we'd get to do it. It would be really fun. Maybe we could revisit some other uh, songs of that genre, you know. There's a lot more that the, the four of us have to say, so I think that, that yeah. would be neat if we got to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Hey, over the years, you've had a very strong connection to not only television work, but you've done some uh, film uh, scoring uh, support, too, and and now you're currently the, the keyboardist for uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live, along with uh, Cleto and the Cletones, and uh, and I mean that's a story in itself. You know the Cletones um, of a musical legacy with son and father alone. But uh, how is that gig going? Is is that fun? It's really fun. Yeah, it's such a blessing to to my life to have had that gig come when it came. Up. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really fortunate. We have uh, Jimmy is the coolest host. Uh, uh, he's such a wonderful human being he's so uh loyal and supportive to his staff and uh um i have not enough good things to say about it not to mention that the band um we were all playing together in some form or another in uh in first a band called cecilia noel and the wild clams which is kind of a crazy latin funk band um that i was a fan of before i started playing with them they they used to do monday nights the big potato and they had this huge horn section really high energy and um anyway then we started an offshoot band called mowgli then we were we were playing in sherman oaks about twice a month and it was just an excuse for a bunch of friends to get together play songs that we like stevie wonder and, mm-hmm. and uh you know average white band and donny hathaway and all this stuff that we kind of enjoyed playing 
it's a really cool little local, no cover. Everyone could come hang, and a lot of musicians hang out there. And we were doing that for a while. And and Jimmy and Cleto, our, our musical director, grew up together in Las Vegas. So uh, Toshi and I, Toshi Yanagi, the guitar player, and I were doing uh, the Wayne Brady show. Um, which was a daytime show. And, mm-hmm. and when the Kimmel show came up, we were actually under contract with Wayne. Um, so it was a little awkward. We we didn't know that we'd, we'd be able to do it, but it seemed like something that we needed to do. Um, just the, the, the planets were kind of aligned. <laughs> the, in the, you know, we all knew Jimmy through Quito, and Jimmy's always been real cool, and it just seemed like a cool situation. Yeah. And thankfully, our musical director at Wayne Brady's show, Peter Michael Escovito, who we'd worked for for a while was very supportive of us going and uh, and trying the new show. Um, he said, "Well, you know, it's just more work for everybody because he had two guys that would be happy to, <laughs> to to come to his show." And uh, I thought that was the coolest thing that that he was so supportive. He said, "We need more guys working in L.A." So that's it's great. awesome. So that's neat. Yeah. So we once again, well, it's been the coolest. We've gotten to ha- have different guests sit in with the band. Um, Got to support all these guys and learn their their library of tunes, and I, uh, that's always really fun for us. Uh, Tell us if you could. Are there any nightmares as to playing music live? And of course, you have a guest or whatever in rehearsal. <laughs> you got to tell us at least one funny story that that happens during during rehearsal. I mean, yeah, you know the nightmares that happen are, you know, we'll get to work and no one will have told us anything. Like sometimes. The other day, we had Tommy Shaw and Jack Blades from Sticks and Night Ranger mm-hmm. sitting in, and we literally got this. We got the word that they were sitting in on stage the night before, uh, you know, right before Jimmy came out. He said, Here are the CDs, and uh, they're coming tomorrow. They'll be there at four. And you think, Well, it would have been nice to have like a day to learn the songs, <laughs> but all right, I'll get a couple hours. So, um, so, and you don't, you know, I think for us, you really want to do a good job. These guys have been playing these songs often with the same guys for 30, 20, 30 years, and you're going to play it for one night, and you want them to feel comfortable. Um, you don't want them to feel, uh, you know, un, un, unsupported. Uh, you want them to feel like it's always felt. So you're trying to assimilate these songs like you really know them, but truth is you sometimes learn the songs a couple hours before. And um, that's kind of the the big the heart where the heart rate goes up. You mm-hmm. know, you've got these guys, these legendary artists, and you're on camera playing with them, and everybody knows their songs. And we've had a pretty good track record. Everyone seems to yeah. go home pretty happy. So, <laughs> but it is nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is nerve wracking to think, oh gosh, I remember the background vocals to this and the part, and <laughs> when do I go to the so and so part? Um, I know John Anderson from Yes sat in, and boy, that's. That's tough. Oh, I bet. Okay, yeah, we'll be yes for a day. You know, it's not like you're just loping along with uh, one, four, five chords. So there have been some definite surprises. Um, but usually the artists are really cool to us. Um, we're always a little nervous before they come in, and, and almost every time we they've they've been really happy, or at least they seem happy, and and, and we've been, we've had a blast. So yeah, it's a pretty cool position for us to be in. Yeah. You know, even though music is, is such a big part of your life, you know, you must have some other interests or hobbies that keep you occupied, right? Um, <laughs> or do you? No. <laughs> uh, I usually, if I'm not working, um, I'm hanging out with my wife. You know, it's uh-huh. like, nice to have a normal life. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, or, or my friends or whatever, but I'm doing so it's been so busy I, I you know the show is pretty much four or five days a week right uh, and then I try to 
try to have something going on before I go to the show um, in the late afternoon. So often I'm doing a session in, in the morning, and, and then uh, I still musical direct for Martin Short. Um, so he's been going out a lot of weekends now, so um, I'll fly out on a red eye right after the show and catch up with him wherever he is, and we'll do a show out there, and I'll fly back. So honestly, I, I wish... I suppose I wish I had more time. Um, if I have time off from the show or anything, my wife and I try to travel and just kind of have a have a normal life. Right. Yeah. To just relax. Um, but you know, I, I like to snowboard and I like to I like to do normal people. I like to drink coffee. <laughs> 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 so I uh, I haven't had enough today, but I'm working on it. And, uh, no, you know, I like nor you know normal. I, I'm so blessed to have have get. You know, I think musicians are really lucky because we get to hang out with our friends most of the mm-hmm. time, whether yeah. we're working or uh, or or not. You know, we're all a big community, and um, in L.A. especially, if you swing into any club where musicians are playing, or if you go into any session where there's more than one musician, it's just such kind of a love fest. You know, everyone's just, mm-hmm. it's so good to see our fellow musicians, and, and it's such a special group. We're really, really it's really cool mm-hmm. to be part of it. Yeah, well, Jeff, it's uh, you know we can uh, we can feel the 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 passion that you have, the creativity, and uh, coming through the words and the music that you're you're heavily involved with. Either either whether they're solo projects, collaborations, or even on the Kimmel Show, but uh, you, you're you're playing from the heart, and we very much appreciate that. And uh, but uh, you know this gig with Jimmy Kimmel Live, I mean, this could go on for a little bit. You know, I mean, he's he's on a roll right now. Yeah, we're. I mean, you know, the the business has changed. I'm sure probably everybody you've talked to has said the same thing. But um, the music industry has changed so much. The record industry isn't isn't super healthy, and um, even motion pictures. A lot of a lot of them are cutting music budgets, and mm-hmm. and they're using a lot of um, sourced music. You know, it's like they'll pay a hundred grand for Running with the Devil, but they won't pay. I don't want to sound really negative, but they won't. <laughs> they won't pay session musicians, they, they'll fight to pay session musicians to scale, you know, and, and it, it, it is pretty competitive now to try to just, you know, to make a living. And the touring industry has totally changed because the record industry doesn't have as much as much money to support a touring budget for yeah. acts. So mm-hmm. that was the kind of our bread and butter for years and years. So when Kimmel came around, I'd already done a little bit of TV, but Boy, I mean, we'd be really thankful if it if ABC sticks with us for a long, long time, mm-hmm, yeah. um, because it's just a it's a really healthy environment, and we're really, you know, we're really lucky that it's such a cool show. I mean, if you ever are there, if anybody ever is at the Kimmel Show, it's the best atmosphere. Guests have a good time, the audience has a good time, and uh, we have a good time. So, mm-hmm. of all the things to have a lasting job there, um, a lasting job at all for a musician right now is pretty coveted. And um, and there it's 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 we really we struck we struck I don't know gold or yeah. <laughs> copper at least. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other uh, major projects? I mean, as granted as your your other stabilizing work uh, exists, uh, do you have any other projects, tours coming up in the in uh, the next year or the next few months? No tours. Still doing gigs with Martin Short mm-hmm. on the weekends and um, and. Um, I know I'm doing one date with James Taylor this summer, but I think it's a private. But that's always, I mean, boy, that's another really fun situation. I get to sub for my friend Larry Goldings um, with James from time to time. And that band, I mean, just, uh, you know, you go on and on about playing with those guys, but mm-hmm. his band is so 
sensational, and, and James is so cool that that'll be fun. And and um, and then there's a couple movies that I've been working on. This movie, Super Bad, that we that we just finished working on, um, which should be pretty funny. That looks funny. Teenage. Yeah, it, it's pretty pretty funny looking, and uh, <laughs> so that was really cool because I know Bootsy Collins and Bernie Worrell and uh, and. Jay Starks and, and Clyde Stubblefield from James Brown's band all played on it, and um, cool. that was a cool project. So the music's pretty cool, and I think the soundtrack will be pretty cool for that. My buddy Lyle Workman scored that movie, and um, so we just finished wrapping on on that. And um, gosh, what else is happening? Just just stuff, you know, random things here and there. And Larry, Larry Carlton, we're doing another record for Larry next week. Um, um, and I think they're documenting it for a DVD. Cool. So that should be pretty interesting. Hey, put in a plug. For, making up. Put in a plug for us with Larry Carlton. Uh, I, ju- <laughs> I just emailed his wife Michelle and trying to shake the tree to get uh, Larry loose to, to to just give us around a half an hour. Or so to put put a little plug in for us, okay? <laughs> I, I will absolutely do that. In fact, I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you. Uh, yeah, I'll give you all the info that you need. Yeah, Larry, Larry, it's great. So it should be fun next week. We'll be in the studio with him. Awesome, but, great. And, uh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate you joining us on Inside Music Cast. Thanks for asking me. I, it's a boy with a, comp- a lot of I'm in good company with all the guys you guys, <laughs> you guys have interviewed. So I, I feel I feel fortunate. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, and hopefully, maybe uh, down the road later this year, we'll catch up with you again and, and uh, get an update. That sounds great. And to close out today's show, here's another track from Jeff's Mondo Trio release called Five Before Happy Time." Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Thank, thanks so much, guys.
for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com. 